This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it's 6 a.m. on Tuesday, the 20th of September. Good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio today with Wong Shaoning. And we also welcome Chong Jen Sun. Say something, Jensen. Don't be so stunned. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, very happy to be here. Maybe a short intro of myself. Um, in a nutshell, middle age, in the midst of a midlife crisis, <laughs> and an ideal face for radio. <laughs> okay, uh, which means what? You're not very handsome. But no, 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 no. Just a bit blur looking like all of us at, at 6am. But welcome to the team. And uh, as usual, I think we're always going to have a very interesting day on radio, right? That's right. We do have a lot of different conversations lined up this morning. Later on at 7.15, we're going to be discussing how we can strengthen child protection efforts and what policies are needed to improve the number of child protection officers that are sorely lacking. We'll be asking Ananti Rajasingam, CEO of Yayasan Chokit. And then at 7.30, we're going to go down south, not Singapore, but Indonesia, because we're going to be finding out about the recent uh, hike in petrol prices there. And the focus is going to be pretty much on Indonesian President Jokowi Widodo, partially because it's the end of his term and he's not supposed to run again, but maybe in another role. Uh, we're going to find out uh, with Resti Woro Yunia. She's the correspondent or he's the correspondent with the South China Morning Post. And at 7.45, we'll be talking about our ever-depreciating ringgit. The ringgit is seeing record lows against the greenback. How concerned should we be? We'll be talking to business commentator Pankaj C. Kumar, who will give us his take on this. We'll have all this and more today on The Morning Run, so stay with us, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Kruang Bin with Time, You and I. Such a groovy way to start the morning. 6.06 a.m. on Tuesday, the 20th of September. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Chong Jen San. Now... Overnight, uh, well, we, not overnight, but over the past week, King Charles III has taken over the role of monarch at the age of 73. We know that Tun Dr. Mahathir Muhammad was 96 when he became prime minister for the second time. And both of these are examples that age isn't an issue when taking on a new role or maybe returning to a new to a role. Part two, part three, part four. Yeah, it can be any age. But, but, but for mere mortals like us, can age be an obstacle to securing a job? And that's the story that we're looking at this morning from BBC Work Life. Yes, this is an article by BBC Work Life which talks about CV ageism. Can you be the wrong age for a job? So age-related biases are baked into the recruiting process, whether conscious or not. Uh, applying for jobs is generally miserable, even at the best of times. Is that what you felt, Jensen? Um, I did. Um, um, did you feel it at, at every decade or did you feel it particularly at this middle age decade? At this middle age decade. Okay. <laughs> it was fine in my 20s and 30s. You were like hot stuff. Everybody wanted to hire you. Correct, music. yeah. At and this then point it was in, downhill all the way. Not quite downhill, but I did get <laughs> well, recruiters ask me like, hey, I hesitated to call you because um, I felt that you had 
too much experience. Maybe it was a polite way of telling me that hey, you're kind of like over the hill. Oh, <laughs> you're too expensive, which is it? Yeah, I think that too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've been quite lucky so far when I think about ageism in terms of my careers. Uh, like, you know, for example, two of us, we joined BFM in our clearly past over the hill middle age life, right? And that didn't work against us. In fact, that was something the radio station wanted. They wanted experience. So I think it really depends on the company, the type of job. And maybe also just the culture in the company, which is related, of course, to the company. Have you experienced it, Shas? Um, not not personally, but I do want to bring, um, I guess, to light some of the statistics that are mentioned in this particular article about how age discrimination manifests. Mm-hmm. So age discrimination means that over 50s are more than twice as likely as other workers to be unemployed for two years or longer if they lose their current job. And I think this is something that we're seeing, especially in the wake of the pandemic, yes. when there were massive job losses in uh, 2020. I think there are still segments that have been unable to go back to a job in which they were earning similar income simply because the uh, job landscape has changed. Um, Another study showed that a 50-year-old worker was up to three times less likely to get an interview than a 28-year-old applicant. So there is uh, something working against older workers if they're looking for a job. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a very very valid point. But um, to be fair, I think there are unfair biases on both ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So being older, naturally, you're perceived to have health issues, you're less social media savvy, you're less tacky, you cost more, you're more rigid to change. And and you've heard so often that you should make way for the younger generation. Tick, 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 all of it. But if you're too young too, you're perceived to be a job hopper, you're perceived to be an entitled millennial. And you, of course, that would uh, also work against you, although you could be very competent in what you do. Mm. So I think it has to be quite a, a balanced view if you, if you look at um, uh, CV, uh, ageism uh, as a whole. Do you think that going forward, we should remove age in our CVs? You know, it's like some companies whereby they say, okay, they're not going to practice this thing where you're, you're supposed to attach a photo because... Does it really matter what you look like? I think there was this whole debate, right? Especially, I think, when it came to law firms. Like, did it really matter whether you were an attractive woman or not? And, you know, it was extremely discriminatory. I wonder whether going forward, they're going to remove age. But I would say, yes, there is a bit of a reality check because certain jobs do require a certain level of youth or maybe uh, vigor. Let's say if it's a very physical job, you know, a 70-year-old would ha- would maybe find it more challenging versus a, a desk-bound job where you're not really required to be that physically fit, more just in terms of your mental contribution. But I think as Malaysia, the population ages, we're going to have to ask ourselves these hard questions about whether we need to adjust our mindset, right? Because if we don't allow older people to continue working, It's like the same argument whereby we're not encouraging women to join the workforce. Then huge swaths of society get left out and then we don't have that economic contribution to the economy. So what is the the nice balance? But it's also true, we do need to make way for the young because you don't want to hang on to to a job forever and not allow succession planning to take place. I think one of the steps forward really is to acknowledge that age discrimination does exist because I think one of the things pointed out in this article is that a lot of times uh, recruiters maybe don't want to say that there's age discrimination in play. They mention all these other factors that you mentioned, Jensen, perhaps that they're looking at, oh, we're looking at pay, we're looking mm. at an experience that has nothing Tech to 
heaviness. Do, it has nothing to do with age, but in a way, in a way, it is. It's kind of baked into that thinking. So I think acknowledging that hey, this is an issue, and then that will lead to more open conversations about how recruiting processes can be improved um, to accommodate uh, mm. the skills and experiences of all different types of workers. Yeah, I don't think you should have black and white answers in in terms of whether certain professions or at least like okay when you're above this age you shouldn't do this job there's no such thing let's just throw that all out of the window uh, we're living in a new environment new decade we can always try new things tell us what you think you know have you experienced age discrimination in your job search or what kind of practices do you think would mitigate any unwanted complications of age discrimination you can whatsapp us 018789 or tweet us at bfm radio 613am we are heading into some messages and we're going to come back with a continuation on this job seeking a chat this time looking at job hopping stay tuned bfm 89.9 bfm 89.9 that was happy music by the blackbirds i hope that you're having a happy start to the morning it's 6 19 a.m on tuesday the 20th of september i'm shazana mokdar with wong xiaoning and chong jen san we are the morning run now we're sticking to the theme of jobs we're looking at another trend in the current work environment, namely job switching. Among younger generations, job hopping throughout their careers is more common than, say, during um, my parents' time, who may have stayed at one company for the length of a 30-year career, right? Mm. But the conventional thinking today um, is less inclined to stay at one company for a long time. And in fact, we're seeing people not just switching companies, but switching to completely different industries to get what they want out of work. And this is the topic of another BBC Work Life article that we're looking at. Yeah, Shazana, f- uh, funny that you have m- might have mentioned that, but actually my dad had actually one job throughout his whole career. His whole career? His whole career. Like for 40 job. years or 30 years? Um, yeah, I think at least 30 to 40 years. Wow. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a rarity nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. It's I, true. When you're trained, when you're at least the older generation, if you become a banker, you're a banker for life. If you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer for life. That's what you do. You get a law degree, you're a lawyer. Well, not true. Did, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I do have a law degree. Exhibit A. Um, and I did do finance for many years and now I'm on radio. So go figure, right? Uh, but you are right. A certain generation, for them, it was like, I studied for this or I was, I'm trained for this. So I'm meant to do this. And I wonder whether it was just the fact of the circumstances of that time, right? Where you weren't really encouraged or at least you had this concept in terms of loyalty to a company or maybe you were not comfortable with uncertainty. Also the way companies, I think this is the part where I realised something because now I look at CVs and I hire people, right? And I think a lot of it is also the company culture whereby you're more accepting of different people from different backgrounds. So you look at radio, right? You think, they, you know, you could get someone who has a degree in psychology, and then tomorrow you could hire somebody who's in chemistry. But from finance, Jensen, they would never hire someone from psychology, right? Exactly. But I do like the McKinsey stats in this article. And it says that 48% of people who quit their job over the last two years, they moved to different sectors. And 65% who are from finance and insurance jobs, which quit their job over the last two years, 
they left the industry for good. Is that us? We are the 65%. Yeah, so I guess that's a 35% chance that we may go back to finance, right? Oh, no. I'm not sure they want us back, though. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, I feel, no. whatever industry. But um, one of the things that, uh, as you've as you alluded to also in our previous conversation, is just how you mentioned earlier, Shaoning, how people tend to stay in one job, perhaps because they don't like uncertainty. Mm. The fact is the pandemic, uh, economic recessions, all of these are factors that throw in a heck of a lot of uncertainty into one's career path. And usually that's what pushes people to try an industry that perhaps they didn't think of when they first started out. Well, I think it's also just the whole change in terms of how people view the nature of work or what you get out of work, right? So you almost take a, a more holistic approach to your job. Last time it was very functional. You went to work 9 to 5, you got paid X dollar. The X dollar uh, enabled you to do other things. But I think over time, in even us, a lot of our identity, unfortunately, maybe even some of our joy comes from work. And if we don't get what we want in terms of the fulfillment, we then look beyond what we are currently doing. And because companies are more willing to hire people from different backgrounds, different experiences, then the possibility of moving is is there versus, let's say, 30 years ago where companies just won't hire you, even if you wanted to move. Right. And I think something that we can realize is a lot of skills that we've earned through different types of work, they're transferable, actually. Skills that you learn in a finance job are equally applicable in a radio job, perhaps, in in different contexts, but you can still use them. And I love that uh, more people are seeing that. I wish that this could be inculcated in students at a much younger age, because when you're young in schools, they often tell you, oh, what do you want to be? Oh, you want to get that law degree to become a lawyer? You want to go into biotech to become a scientist? But actually, we can see these days about lawyers becoming illustrators or, you know, scientists becoming book authors. I just feel like there's so much more opportunity out there than what's uh, shown to students in schools. Yeah, because, you know, we went, we probably decided what course we were going to do at university when we were, what, 17, 18? What do we know at that age, right? Our world is so small. Honestly, our exposure is so limited. But yet, our career paths are pretty much dictated by the by the form that we filled in at that age. So I wonder whether, yeah, we, sh- we should have, a, I guess, an open mind when it comes to careers. Yeah, I, I think you, you raise a very valid point, Shaoning. I think more people are finding careers that doesn't feel like a job at all. They want work to be a bigger part of their life. They, they don't want to be in a grind. They want something that's ever energizing and motivating. And I think more people are more susceptible to change nowadays. But I think the key word is really purpose and fulfillment. Putting aside money, I think that all sane humans want this. They want purpose and fulfillment. You can have all the money in the world, but at some point in your life, you need to have some purpose and fulfillment. I think that's a great uh, place to put a semicolon on this conversation. I'm sure we'll be talking about this more in the future. In the meantime, tell us, you know, have you changed uh, your jobs to a different industry? What was that change like for you? You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio 625 in the morning. We are heading into the 6.30 a.m. news bulletin. We're going to come back with a look at global headlines after that. Here's Fleet Foxes with Ragged Wood to take you to the news. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. That was Fleetwood Mac with Go Your Own Way. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's Tuesday, the 20th of September, 6.41 in the morning. And it's that time of day where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. I think the biggest story overnight is really the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. She has finally been laid to rest next to her husband, uh, the Duke of 
So all the public funeral events for Queen E, of course, have concluded uh, with the service at Windsor Castle. And of course, like you sh- said, Shah, she has just been buried in a private ceremony. So the state funeral took place on Monday morning and you saw pictures of it. Every world leader was there from Joe Biden to the Emperor of Japan. Uh, and of course, a whole other host of foreign dignitaries, be them politicians to other families of the, uh, sorry, households, royal households. So this marks the the end of 10 days of national mourning. And now King Charles has to get on with his role and um, lead the country. I think there are question marks about the, actually the Commonwealth. Is it going to change significantly with the passing of Queen E? And are there going to be more countries that are going to decide that they don't want her to be head of state? I think that will be the next I think something to watch out for. Something to watch in the years ahead for mm. sure. And I think everyone's sort of agreeing that that is a case of when, not not whether. When the, it, yeah, it's, it's going to when. happen. It's just a matter of what the timing timeline is. Um, and yeah, it is the end of the Elizabethan era, the yeah. second Elizabethan era. The longest ever reigning monarch in the uh, United Kingdom. Uh, what has caught your eye, Jensen? Um, okay, I'm looking at an article on CNBC, which says that India has banned the export of broken rice and he has slapped a 20% export tax on several varieties of rice starting September 9th. And the article also quotes uh, Nomura, Japanese broker, which says that Philippines and Indonesia will be the most vulnerable to the ban. India accounts for some 40% of global rice shipments and it exports to more than 150 countries. Um, Exports reached 21.5 million in 2021 and that's uh, more than the total shipment from the next four biggest exports of rice, which are Thailand, Vietnam, Pakistan and United States. So it looks like um, uh, Philippines and uh, Indonesia are in a tough spot. And it also cites the key beneficiaries of this potential rice ban, which would be uh, Thailand and Vietnam, given they are net exporters of rice. So all in, I think this would be... Not good for headline inflation, for, yeah, for sure. I guess for uh, globally as well. If, uh, I think if you look at rice uh, exports and rice consumption uh, in Europe as well as in US, um, I understand that even in Italy, which is the biggest rice exporter contributing some 30% of EU, they're having their own issues. Okay. Uh, production is down 30%. In US, in California... Um, they, they produce some 20% of production for the US and production is also down. So, and this yeah. is the second export ban that we've seen India mm. institute this year, right? Earlier on, it was wheat, I think sometime in June, and now it's rice. And we can see all these factors um, of climate change, of supply chain issues really just... Um, affecting what's happening to uh, food security and food supplies. Yeah, so earlier on in the year when the Ukraine war started, yes, you did see wheat prices jump and then followed by edible oils, right? Because Ukraine is a major exporter of sunflower uh, oil. But rice was actually pretty much okay. So which meant that the population, the countries in Asia weren't so much affected by the war in Ukraine. There wasn't a massive rise in food inflation. But it looks like this is coming back to haunt us later, right? Um, it'll be interesting to see even for Malaysia, whether for the imported rice, because some parts of rice is price controlled, but not all types of rice. So what does, that, what does this then mean? 
uh, we'll be watching this space. I think this is a, a critical thing to follow. And don't, look, this isn't due to the war at all, right? It's due to climate no. change. It's due to extreme weather patterns. It's due to all of that impacting yields. And this is going to be something that becomes more and more common as climate change impact becomes, um, you know, reverberates more in our societies. Um, 6.45 in the morning. I think we have time for one very quick headline. And I wanted to share this for all those podcast listeners out there, especially those of you who listen to the Serial podcast on NPR. Um, the very first season focused on the case of Adnan Said, who was convicted of murdering his girlfriend back when he was 19 years old. That case, that conviction has been overturned. Um, so he is set to go for a new trial. Just another example of investigative journalism, um, actually seeing some kind of uh, a, if it uh, outcome, even though many, many years after the case. All right, 6.46 in the morning, we're heading into some messages. We're going to come back with a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, 6.50 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run with Shazana Shaoning and Jensen. That was the fabulous Thunderbirds. Did I say that already? Tough enough? No? Yes? Well, no, not yet. Well, that was tough enough by the fabulous Thunderbirds. Uh, and we are are looking at the local newspapers and portals for the top headlines of the morning. I do have Sinar Harian and Utusan Malaysia in front of me. They are both talking about uh, the next general election. Uh, curiously, uh, Sinar Harian has the front page. What would happen if PRU 15 takes place uh, during flooding season? Mm. And I think this is related to comments made by uh, AMNO President Datuk Sri Ahmad Zaid Hamidi recently. Yeah. Uh, following, to the, following on from that is an article in Malaysia Kini because Prime Minister Dr. Sri Ismail Sabri apparently sidestepped questions by media on whether it's okay for the country to hold the GE15 during the floods. And uh, basically, he told reporters who asked him that question, uh, why don't you ask the voters? So guess what? We're asking you this morning then, <laughs> since everyone, you know, most of our listeners were probably going to vote or I hope will vote. Uh, do you think it's a good idea for GE15 to be held during the floods? You can, um, you know, let us know on Twitter. Our handle is at BFM Radio. Of course, you can WhatsApp in 018-789-8899. Do you think we should be having GE15? I suppose that means sometime late November and throughout the month of December then, if that was flooding season. A lot of just guessing. I think it's a guessing game at this point. Uh, Malaysian Insight also has a story on um, that uh, saying that the Prime Minister will discuss GE15 matters during the cabinet meeting tomorrow. Yeah, um, because after that he flies off to New York, right, for the UN meetings. Correct. So maybe we'll see more news coming out of that. Uh, we don't know. We'll just have to watch this space, right? Mm. Uh, but meantime, Jensen, what's the story in front of you that you, that's caught your eye this morning? Okay, I'm looking at an article from The Edge and it says that Prime Minister Datuk Sri Ismail Sabri, he launched this national energy policy from 2022 to 2040, which will help the country achieve net zero gas house emissions in 2050 as he faces the challenges of energy transition and climate change. Uh, I wonder whether this is all going to happen. Um, at least we're going to hear a lot more about this as we head towards COP27, which is going to take place in November in Egypt. That's right. And it's uh, it's telling that he's making these announcements just before he goes to New York, because mm. I'm sure he's going to want to make these announcements um, to the international community when he takes the stage at the UN General Assembly as well. Okay, and talking about elections, right, I found this article in Malaysia Insight very interesting because basically it's also Ismail Sabri saying that Muhyiddin Yassin is just as responsible if the government is said to have failed to address the country's economic issues. Mm. 
Okay. All right. I suppose he's making that point because Tanchi Budinyasin is the chairman of the National Recovery Council. Yes. Uh, but then again, there are just so many committees. I'm not surprised if what everyone's about the... confused about what's doing what. We yeah. do have the Jihad Against Inflation Task Force. So if inflation doesn't come down, do we blame them too? Which council do we turn to for because our prime this? minister is saying right that it's not entirely my fault? So yeah, okay. Um, I wonder whether we'll get more of this um, sharing of blame. Indeed, and uh, some other news is of course, and to me this is really positive news. I see this in page two of the Star, and that's going to be the new ethics code, and and there's going to be a declaration of assets to be widened to combat graph. And so it will be extended actually to heads of GLCs and GLICs along with judiciary. They must declare their assets to the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission. I mean, I think this is a really good step forward to enhance transparency um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to funds and assets. Right? This is something mm. that uh, I think a lot of NGOs have been calling attention to for the past years. Um, so putting this in place is a really good step forward. Um, now we need to watch the implementation just to see how uh, pers- uh, consistent it is and, and how what kind of standards of declaration are yeah. they being held and to. And who do they declare it to? Do the public have any uh, purview? Do we get to see this? List? That's right. Is it going to be public or is it just a private declaration to the MACC? I think these are details that uh, hopefully will come uh, to the fore in the next days or weeks ahead. And we already had one person, uh, you know, write into us and say, no, not good to hold elections during flooding season, which is kind of stating the obvious, right? True. Although there is precedent for this. We were discussing this yesterday, Shanding, that back in 1999, elections were held at the end of November. Yes, it was. A bit of unusual timing there, but it's not something that hasn't happened before. No, and it would follow the the idea that what will happen, the timeline, that people have, some people have speculated that we would uh, table budget on uh, October 7, immediately after that, dissolve parliament and then go into elections, which is exactly what happened in 1999, but it was the only time we had elections during floods. All right, we're coming up to 6.56 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And then after that, we'll take a look at how global markets closed yesterday. Taking you to the news, though, is Cheryl Crow with A Change Would Do You Good, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.